0: Welcome to Radio Physics, a collaboration with the Aspen Center for Physics, KDNK Community Radio in Carbondale, and advanced physics students from Roaring Fork Valley High Schools. The students spend a week working at the center during the summer and get to talk one-on-one to some of the distinguished physicists who are here. I'm Patty Fox, and I'm hosting today's program, which was recorded during the Teen Summer Program at the Aspen Center for Physics. Megan Quinn and Patrick Young are rising seniors from Glenwood Springs High School. They will be interviewing Wolfgang Ketterley. Wolfgang received a diploma equivalent to a master's degree from the Technical University of Munich and a PhD in physics from the University of Munich. After a postdoctoral work, he joined the physics faculty at MIT, where he is now the John D. MacArthur Professor of Physics. He does experimental research in atomic uh, physics and laser spectroscopy and focuses currently on Bose-Einstein condensation in dilute atomic gases. He was among the first scientists to observe this phenomenon in 1995 and realized the first atom laser in 1997. He has many awards to his name, including the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2001. Together with EA Cornell and CE Weinman. So, congratulations again. Yes. (laughs) And nice to be here again. And we're glad to have you here. Wolfgang is also a member at the Aspen Center for Physics and comes back regularly and enjoys it every time. And started this morning with a bike ride up to Maroon Bells before the interview. We'll begin with Patrick.
1: All right, Wolfgang. Could you start us off by talking about your first time being exposed to physics and at what point did you realize you wanted to pursue it as a
2: career? Oh, that's an excellent question, which also raises the question, what is physics? uh, Formerly I was introduced to physics through my physics teacher and through physics classes at high school, which I really liked. Physics and mathematics were my favorite subjects. But I think I was already introduced to other parts of physics as a child when you play with Legos. I was always a child in the family who liked to construct things. I had a lot of patience to build something and make it work. And when it didn't work, I spent even more time on it. So I think already from childhood on, I like to explore things and to sort of tinker you know, play with materials in a creative and constructive way.
3: Okay. So you began your physics journey as a child, as a lot of us do, but I was wondering what sparked your interest in experimentation with ultra-cold states of matter and the Bose-Einstein condensate?
2: Oh, this question gives me an opportunity to tell you that I hadn't figured it all out when I was young. <laughs> when I went to college, I said, yeah, physics is good because it's a combination of you know, engineering, technical things which I like, tinkering, uh, mathematics, and I liked all of it, and I thought physics is a good combination. But I also considered mathematics and computer science, and it wasn't sort of that it was crystal clear that it would be physics. But as so often in life, You're interested about something, you're excited about something, and then you start it. You learn many things, many things you didn't know, but it keeps up your excitement, and this is what happened for me. But then, uh, when I was a student, I filled out questionnaires and said, I want to be a physicist in industry, I want to develop products. I never saw myself as a researcher. But then when I did my diploma thesis, I was really interested in my last year or two of studies of theoretical physics. So I have a master diploma thesis in theoretical physics because I thought I would become a theoretician. But then at the year of my theoretical master thesis, I said, yeah... Well, there's so many problems in the world and with theoretical physics, I'm a little bit far away from them. Can I contribute to those problems more directly? And uh, since I was good with equipment and, you know, tinkering with bicycles, motorcycles and Legos, (laughs) I said, okay, I can do experiment. And this is when I started to be an experimentalist. So what I'm really telling you is, you know what you want at the given moment. But as a young person, you develop, you learn more about your strengths, you learn more about your interests, you learn more about your motivations. And because as I went on, I realized more and more about myself, I have, I was modifying my decision and kind of steering my career into different directions.
3: So since you went so many different ways, obviously, in your education, um, can you tell me a little bit about like the versatility of Physics and how it can go into engineering as well as other fields, because you went from theory to applied physics, engineering, and can you tell me a little bit about how that's just such an amazing factor of physics?
2: Okay, uh, I've always done physics, but physics with different flavors theoretical physics, molecular physics, some physical chemistry where I even work together with engineers, and then ultra cold atoms. Now, what distinguishes physics is that physics is, number one, a very general education, which has a broad foundation. B, we teach a lot of, I would say, skills to analyze, to understand something, and not necessarily the knowledge and therefore physicists are often very flexible to solve problems they've never heard of because they have learned to ask questions and they have learned how to analyze a problem. So this sort of is, if you are generally interested in different parts of the natural world uh, physics is, uh, provides a strong and general background. But It's maybe not something for everybody. I maybe can tell you the story of my oldest son. He was really interested in chemistry in high school and studied chemistry when he went to college. But then he said, no, this is too abstract, too research-oriented. He wanted to work on something more concrete, and then he became a mechanical engineer. So in other words, what it also shows is whether it's engineering, whether it's physics, it's not physics means you get it all, you get it with a different flavor. And the in industry or companies, for certain jobs, they will hire an engineer. For other jobs, they will hire physicists. So it's not sort of physics is more general and you have just many more opportunities. In other words, you have to find the jacket that fits you. You have to really find what is a match to your interests and skills.
1: So you've spoken about the different flavors of physics that you've tasted along your big journey, but how about we focus on what you're studying right now and the research you're doing with ultra-cold atoms, Bose-Einstein concentrates, and optical lattices. Could you talk to us a little bit about
2: what that looks like for you? The Bose-Einstein condensation was the discovery of a new form of matter. It was a superfluid, which is a gas, gaseous, in contrast to superconductors, which are solid, and helium, which is a superfluid. So it was a real new form of matter, which triggered a lot of research. But what we developed in the pursuit of Bose-Einstein condensation was something even more general. We learned how to refrigerate atoms Mm -hmm very, very close to absolute zero. For the first time we reached clouds of samples of atoms in the nano-Kelvin regime. And nano-Kelvin is within billions of degree Kelvin at absolute zero. But what it really means is for the atoms, it means they literally stand still. Atoms just move at only a a snail's pace at those temperatures. And if they are so slow, you can grab them with magnetic field, you can grab them with a laser beam and change their properties and rearrange it. So if I want to use the analogy with Lego pieces, once we apply what we learned for Bose-Einstein condensation, cooling to nano-Kelvin atoms to atoms, we have now the atoms the building blocks of nature like Lego pieces. And what I do is, again, I play with Legos. I arrange those atoms into new forms of materials, some materials which have never existed before, and we study their properties. So this is the most general description I can give. I'm sort of doing ultra-cold physics, material research, where the building blocks are refrigerated atoms cooled down to almost absolute zero.
3: So now that you have the ability to manipulate ma- like materials and create new materials by manipulating atoms at these levels, is there any interesting or new discoveries you've made that can be applied to the real world with these new materials and these lattices that you've created?
2: Well, that's an interesting question which requires a little bit longer answer because I'm doing fundamental research. So we talked about, I had motivations, I had sort of went through different motivations when I was a young student, I looked into applied research, I did combustion research with lasers, so I really could tell everybody, look. I use lasers to understand combustion. I use lasers for cleaner environment. And everyone said, wow, that's interesting. And I didn't have to explain what it is good for. (laughs) But now I'm getting excited about, you know, just a few million atoms. You can't really see them when they're inside a vacuum chamber. But they have amazing properties. And it's so interesting to study them. Well, so I'm clearly much, much further away from applications than I was when I did combustion research. But I did that because I do feel I'm a person who wants to, who's really good at it and wants to work on problems where we don't even know if there's an answer, where it may take years and where you're always ready for surprises. I'm not developing something. I'm trying to explore what what is possible in nature. So therefore, I would say often the materials we are studying, we are studying them at extremely low temperature. But this gives us insight, new knowledge about how nature works. And this will enable material designers to find materials of practical use along those lines, maybe in 20 years, maybe in 30 years. So I think in the end, it's this fundamental research is developing uh, the knowledge and the technology for tomorrow. So, So that's what it's mainly about and we have just discovered some really new material which hasn't existed as super solid. You know super fluids but super solids didn't exist. Something which is super fluid. It can sort of flow without dissipation. It has these properties with a superfluid, but it's solid at the same time. And this hadn't existed before. So it was a big discovery, the first ever super solid. But if you ask me what it's good for, it was a little bit like people talked about it. Is it possible or not? And um, I like to bike up mountains, I like to hike mountains. I was a little bit, hey, there is something, and I want to climb it. Why? Because it's there, because it's a challenge, (laughs) because it's an open question, because it was something which was begging for an answer. But I'm working in areas where, A, the materials, materials rule the world. So if you make an understanding to, if you make a contribution to better understanding of materials, it will affect how materials are designed in the future. But the methods I'm using, nano Kelvin atoms, manipulation of atoms is actually also deeply related to quantum technologies and we're talking a lot in these days about quantum technologies and practical applications for quantum communication and uh, quantum computers I mean finally, I'm now going I know I'm gone the big path from fundamental research to maybe quantum technologies there is another area where my research is relevant and this is ultra-cold atoms are used for the most precise atomic clocks. I'm not working on clocks, but I'm working in a field where some of my ideas and my methods uh, stimulate people to use it for clocks and build better clocks. So people are now building atomic clocks in optical lattices. These are the best clocks in the world. And when you ask what what are clocks good for, well, I would say clocks the most precise atomic clocks are used for global navigation, GPS, yeah. and for global communication, where timing is really crucial. But now the clocks have reached a precision where amazing new opportunities can be pursued.
1: So what I want you to talk about now is it's I've, I've done a little bit of background research and it seems that you've been able to perform research and teach at many different, like amazing locations across the world. Is there one location to you that stands out where you're able to teach or perform research?
2: I love MIT. I am at MIT, I'm a professor there. MIT is a very special school. It has a lot of vibrancy, it has amazing undergraduates. It has great graduate students. So I'm not looking for many other opportunities to teach elsewhere. I'm really dedicated to provide the best education to the students at MIT. On the other hand, yes, I sometimes like to teach at summer schools and reach out to my field, to the young researchers in my field. That's great fun. But this is sort of, yeah, complementary. Classroom teaching is for me. I focus on MIT, on MIT.
3: So MIT is renowned mm. for a lot of its um, research, its labs, and it's like just innovation as a total. And so I was wondering, could you just speak um, to us as students the importance of labs and experimentation in both college and just education to better our learning experience?
2: Labs and instrumentation are used, are necessary in certain parts of science and technology. For instance, it doesn't play a role if you want to study mathematics, or for some aspects of computer science, programming language, structure of computers. This is mainly theoretical work, or in the social sciences. But if you want to pursue a career which involves experimental science or has a major part of engineering in it it's a really good idea to do that already as a young student to expose yourself to that and then of course it is also critical that you work in a place where you find the infrastructure you want to learn with modern equipment and not with old fashioned equipment So
1: what exactly is a Bose-Einstein condensate in How, while it does not appear in nature, like, what applications may it have for the future?
2: Let me first talk about what the Bose-Einstein condensate is, and then uh, talk about applications and and these things. Bose-Einstein condensate is a very, very cold gas, and what happens is, if you cool down a gas of atoms or molecules, everything slows down. The colder, the slower. But when you get really cold, close to absolute zero, there is a sudden change in the behavior of the gas. It's a phase transition similar when you cool down water and it suddenly freezes. There is suddenly a new phase of matter with new properties. And this new property is that we no longer have a gas like the air around us where all the molecules randomly move in all directions. We have created with Bose-Einstein condensation, a gas where particles march in lockstep. They just form one big quantum wave. And this characterizes a Bose-Einstein condensate and is responsible for some of its amazing properties, including superfluidity. But Hmm. let me first give you an an analogy which uh, makes it maybe easier to understand. We are all familiar with the fundamental differences in ordinary light and laser light. And that's actually pretty similar to normal matter in Bose-Einstein condensation. In ordinary light, light photons go in all directions. There are many modes. The light is incoherent. That's what the light of a light bulb is. But in a laser, it is one giant electric electromagnetic field. The photons the particles of light march in lockstep. And so you can, therefore, the same uh, characterization, which applies to laser light, to some extent also describes a Bose-Einstein condensate. So therefore, when people ask me, can you explain what the Bose-Einstein condensation is? In one sentence, I would say, yes. It means we have created a material which has the properties of laser light or Bose-Einstein condensation is for atoms and molecules, what the laser is for light.
0: You've used the term uh, superfluidity and slu- super solid. Can you explain those terms? This
2: is also related to what Bose-Einstein condensates are good for. There are many applications for superconductors in the technical world. Superconductors are the charged form of superfluids, and the Bose-Einstein condensation is a simple superfluid. So research on Bose-Einstein condensates uh, will, in the future, help to design better superconductors. So that's sort of, again, what I mentioned before. We have systems where we understand these superflows in a better way, okay. and this helps materials in the future. But now I have to explain what, what is super in superfluids and super solids and all that. With super we mean that the system let me first talk about the superfluid, that a liquid can flow without friction. I mean just amazed. Uh, t- just think about it. If you stir up your coffee, well, you take the spoon we'll just out. Keep
3: going forever. <laughs> it would keep going forever.
2: This is weird. Or you create a vortex in water, and this and vortex would be there. It would be there you know, minutes, hours later. So this means superfluid flow, flow without dissipation. Or to use this example, if you would put your finger in superfluid helium, well, you shouldn't, your finger would freeze and <laughs> you would lose your finger, but let's just think of, If you would put something in superfluid helium and move it back and forth, you can move it back and forth without any friction. There is no dissipation, there is no frictional forces. And what we've just discussed with a superfluid, and if you stir up a cup of superfluid coffee, it will just rotate and rotate and rotate and go on. Well, if you have a powerful magnet in a hospital for an MRI image, the current in the, you need strong magnetic fields, and the strong magnetic fields are created by huge currents going through a coil, going through a magnetic coil. But those electrons keep on going forever. You don't need a power supply because they are in a superconducting state. Mm. So superconduct, superconductivity is the same as superfluidity, but we call it superconductivity if the particles have charge because then in addition to just flowing, they can also conduct charge or transport electricity. Okay. So superconductor is just a charged version of a superfluid.
3: That's very interesting to me because with my base level knowledge, um, we're taught that, like, everything will come to end because of, like, friction and all of this. But um, when, what you're saying, if you could, like, this could keep going forever, that really opens up a new field of possibilities if you can have energy and like conductivity that continues to flow forever or this like movement that can continue to flow without friction so you don't have to put more energy into system to continue to like keep it going that really does just like open up a world of possibilities that i'm taught like in the same age is like not possible you have to continue to put like this energy into a system because friction will dissipate it but that's very interesting to me
2: yeah or you can Power grid you can send electricity from one coast to the other, and you're not losing, losing anymore. you're not losing power in uh, transmission. I think we're losing in the United States I wanted to say ten percent let's average it to twenty so <laughs> okay. we, it, it's a substantial fraction uh-huh. of the uh-huh. total power generated is lost in transmission, and if we had suitable superconducting materials, we could com- completely avoid it.
3: And in this day and age, we're always looking for efficiency and to make things more efficient, and like cars and everything, in order to preserve this planet, as well as preserve like energy and electricity and everything. So that's really incredible to hear that you've like found this ability to keep energy flow going and lose so much less to dissipation.
1: So with these uh, superfluids and the potential applications within superconductors, do you think that these kind of materials will will find places in in the world of quantum mechanics and specifically quantum
2: computing? I am convinced that it will find places, but there are often many steps required to take something from the observation of a phenomenon to a situation where it can have practical use. Mm-hmm. So we have we are getting a deeper and deeper understanding of superfluidity and superconductivity. But material researchers haven't found yet a room temperature superconductor. All the materials which are superfluid and superconductors require refrigeration. And that's the reason why you don't have a superconductor in your computer, or why we are not using, in a widespread way, superconductors for power transmission. Because the costs of refrigeration or the power loss it takes, the power required for refrigeration is comparable what you save afterwards because you have a superconductor. So there are many technical steps still missing in to take somebody, something, not somebody, to take a material from the laboratory into practical applications.
3: Um, to wrap up, The talk. I was just wondering if you have any advice for us as students interested in physics and the STEM field going into college, especially since you work at MIT, which is specifically geared to a lot of these students that have passions for the STEM field. I was just wondering if you have any advice.
2: Well, my advice is if you are excited about science and technology and you have the skills to do it, go for it, because you will always have an interesting life. It is in science and technology that we are still making discoveries which change the world. You cannot discover anymore uh, a new continent or a new mountain. We have explored the earth in the the bigger picture. But in science and technology, every day new discoveries are made. And if you are willing and able to participate, you really have an interesting life.
0: Thank you, Wolfgang Ketterly, um, professor of physics at MIT, for a really beautiful interview and good advice to young students. And thank you, Megan Quinn and Patrick Young from Glenwood Springs High School. Tune in to Radio Physics on the fourth Tuesday of every month at 4.30. For more information about the Gopher program and events at the center, please visit the Aspen Center for Physics website at aspenphys.org or give me a call.